Hello and welcome to the Virtual Frontier, the podcast about virtual teams created by Virtual Team. Disclaimer, all of our interviews are conducted virtually. I'm Daniel, your host, and I'm part of the team here at the Virtual Frontier. In this episode, we welcome Tara Powers as our guest. Remote work and home office has become quite a thing during 2020, right? But guess what? It isn't new at all. Tara could be already called a virtual teams veteran, as she has worked on this scheme of work since decades. With her book, Virtual Teams for Dummies, she was in the best-selling charts long before the pandemic hit us, and many of us were forced to work this way out of the blue when offices and physical workspaces were shut down. Today, I talk with Tara about her new book, Working from Home, how to establish authentic connection in a remote working environment, and what it means to have the permission to be fully human at work. A quick mention of our sponsor, FlashUp. Build your virtual team systematically and methodically. If you want to learn how to scale your business at any time and make work better, visit flashup.io to get free access to the Virtual Business Builder Training. Learn in this free training how you can build, grow and scale your business with virtual teams and global freelancers. If you like the show, subscribe on YouTube, review it on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music or any other platform you like for podcasting. So, without further ado, let's dive into episode 36 of The Virtual Frontier. Enjoy the conversation. Hi Tara, uh, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Uh, it's great to have you here on the show, The Virtual Frontier Podcast. Um, yeah, actually, I... Uh, Got to know about you with your last book um, that you wrote uh, about virtual team. And um, then I followed you over the last year and I just recently found out uh, that you have wrote, uh, written a new book, uh, uh, which is a good fit for everyone working right now from home. Title yes. is Work from Home. Um, and yeah, but before we start uh, uh, with our topic today, might you want to give you us a short introduction about who you are? Um, how you landed up in uh, this uh, environment with virtual work and uh, remote work. Um, I, I think there is a, a long history, but yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. Tell us. Well, thank you, Daniel. It's great to be here. I love doing uh, um, global podcasts, right? And getting to talk to different audiences. So thank you for having me. Yep, my background is I have had a small boutique consulting company here in the United States for a little over 20 years. And my my main um, focus has been working with leaders and teams. And I've done that for a really long time, helping them either learn to lead more effectively, co collaborate better, build more uh, stronger, cohesive teams. And that's been what I've been doing for a long time. And about Seven, eight years ago now, I think, some of my big clients, larger organizations, started to ask me about what did, what did I know about um, virtual work? What did I know about teams that had half of the people in the office and half of the people at home? Or in the United States, uh, something that was pretty popular a few years ago was called hoteling. So they would actually take, you know, their large organ, these large organizations, these buildings that have, you know, all kinds of uh, 
cubicles with numbers on them. And instead of just being able to go to a cubicle that was yours every day, you would log on to a system like a hotel system and have to reserve your spot because they didn't have enough room for everybody. So that would force teams to not all be in the office at the same time. And they were really starting to feel this struggle with keeping the teams connected, keeping everybody on the same page, communicating effectively. And so I was noticing this is a real trend with some of my clients. And even though I've been working virtually for you know 20 years, I've had my business, I should probably do some research and find out what is working, what the challenges are. So I hired a organizational psychology firm who builds um, surveys and we built a validated survey uh, and had several Fortune 500 companies here in the U.S. complete it. Uh, we had three different levels. We had executives take it who were supporting virtual teams or considering going virtual with some of their workforce. We had leaders who were leading virtual teams or partially virtual. And then we had employees who were working virtual and some who were not. And we put together this really amazing um, research study, which eventually, uh, you know, I was, I was posting about, I was talking about, we built a white paper on it. Uh, and that is where I got asked to then write the book, um, Virtual Teams for Dummies, which is the popular dummy series. Mostly everybody around the world has heard of it. Uh, and I, in, in doing that, I actually did more research because I then reached out to companies who were 100% remote for the book to find out what they were doing that was working, what wasn't working. Um, and you'll notice, and if you do have that book, I interview a lot of well-known companies who are virtual and how they make it work. So that's the long story short of how I got into this whole remote field. Oh, interesting. And, and as I, I could uh, listen, um, you started with this whole remote and virtual work a couple of years ago, um, long before, let's say, we started last year uh, worldwide uh, with uh, um, working remote. Everyone, or not, let's say everyone, but uh, a huge amount of the workforce went uh, remote. Um, but you did it already like seven, eight years ago and were, uh, were teaching uh, uh, other companies and leaders uh, how to overcome those struggles you just mentioned about building teams in, in different settings, hybrid, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So this is, this is already a long history. Very interesting. Yeah, I've been working with it a long time. Now, definitely, I think there's some, some things that, that have changed, but not a ton, right? What makes good communication in a virtual environment hasn't shifted because of the pandemic. Um, I think it's just now in the forefront. So my book, which I think was published in 2018, I would have never imagined that it would be so uh, relevant today for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I have people reach out to me a lot that say, we're using your book. We all read it. I had a professor reach out to me recently. Um, who had her whole class read the book. And she had me come on and speak virtually. And I thought that was really interesting because I tend to be very practical uh, and tactical in the way that I um, work as a consultant. Uh, I really look for what is the simplest and easiest path to success. And, it, and because I'm dealing with people, it normally is, you know, a shift in mindset, behavior, approach, style, 
building emotional intelligence. And it's not hard. It just is needs to be thoughtful and intentional um, for people to build those things. So anyway, yeah, Great. It's, been a, it's been a journey. Yeah. And and um, speaking about this journey, uh, Jack, just, just as you mentioned, uh, the university, uh, there there were a lot of challenges for, for all of us the last year. Um, a lot of change uh, was coming up. And so I, I was also wondering, uh, as you are an expert in working uh, many years in this area, uh, also in uh, leadership and, and uh, human resource, um, What, what did change for you? What, what challenges you might confronted on yourself by by yourself uh, during the last year? Um, having my the kids uh, at home, um, doing work time. Uh, what was uh, how how you got affected by the situation and um, what challenges you might had and how how you did overcome them? Yeah, I think there's been challenges and blessings and the challenges mm. certainly we were discussing right before we started is both of my children are home right now uh, working on their laptops and eating up bandwidth and so of course my work requires me to do a lot of this being on webinars and calls uh, and not be having highly you know functional secure internet 24/7 has definitely been a challenge but Nothing we can't work with, right? Um, but also, you know, I think just the demands of wanting to be a active and participative and present parent while your kids are home with you and then also trying to build and continue to work uh, and build your company, a consulting company, uh, and, and maintain connections, it's just been really challenging, feeling like I'm doing a good job at either of those things. I do feel that my kids are a little older, I have two girls, 11 and 13, and they are able to do some things on their own, which I, I don't know if I had smaller kids, which I believe you might, that would even make it more difficult, right? Because they need you, they have to have you, they're helping them. So I think just the, the presence, being present, I felt like I wasn't present at work all the time. I wasn't present at home all the time. Um, and I think it did uh, take to a toll on me. I, I definitely over the last 10 months have struggled with sleep, stress um, more than I have ever in the past. Um, And so I am right now actually working on those things by trying different things I haven't done before. I'm trying to meditate. I'm trying to make sure, um, I just was talking about this with my husband today, like whatever I did last night did not work because I didn't sleep. So I was looking at um, work stuff, right? I was just planning out my week, but that was the last thing I did before I went to bed. And so I was thinking of all the things that I had to get done this week, which is a lot, and uh, I didn't sleep, right? So I think I have to get really better at how I'm managing my time and my well-being and keep, uh, I'm keeping a journal now of when I sleep and what I was doing when, before I went to bed, what I ate, you know, when I'm not sleeping, what am I doing to really try to hone in on what is going to work for me to create more well-being and um, less stress and health. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've noticed that uh, most people 
are struggling with is that sense of well-being and whether that's balance, like I was mentioning with family and work, or just how overall health and staying connected to things that matter to you, eating well, getting outside. It's so easy now that people work from home that we basically can sit and I do it, right? You probably do too. You sit down and the next thing you, and you had all these good intentions. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to walk my dog. And it's one o'clock in the afternoon and none of those things happen. And now you're well into your day and you've been sitting at your computer for already seven hours. So you know, I think it's a real struggle for most people, but I am trying to personally create different habits and try different things that I haven't done before to get in front of it because it can easily just take you down, take you down, I think, as a business owner. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that uh, with us, uh, Tara, um, because uh, as everyone uh, has something uh, to challenge on or, or a struggle with, uh, even uh, the experts. And I tried it in the last episodes always like to get like a little uh, introduction or uh, insight about what is happening to, to my interview partners I, I'm talking with, um, because um, even they are mostly professionals in their uh, specific capacities. Um, everyone everyone has to challenge something and there are different ways to um go for it and uh it was nice to hear that you uh, took the way to write a journal uh, to, to have like awareness about what is happening in your day and this, i think this is very important and then i would also mention like the acceptance right to see um okay i'm tired um I should get more sleep um, or um, I have overworked. I should they, uh, prob probably take a day off uh, mm -hmm. and do, do do the action steps. But you need to be aware of that first in the first place. And uh, a journal can really help for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to add, because you mentioned this just last week, you know, I have some things that I promised uh, some clients. Uh, it's actually a partner that I'm working with. And I had a lot of stress last week, lots of stuff going on. We have a family member who's ill and I was dealing with this, this insomnia that I mentioned. And uh, I just had to reach out. And I normally, if you're a consultant and you own your own business, you never want to say no to your clients, right? You, you always want to over deliver and you always want to provide the best service. And that's been my kind of what I've done for 20 years. And I basically reached out and said, I cannot get you what you, what I promised you this week. And here's why. And here's my plan, right? When I'm going to get it to you. And they were okay with it, right? You know, we're, you know, they were totally understanding. And I think sometimes we have to just give ourselves a little more grace, especially still, since we're still in this pandemic. Uh, and ask for help when we need it and and be honest with the people, even our clients sometimes, because um, we're all human. And um, I do think in, in some cases, a lot of people are trying to do everything at the level that they did before with very, very different and new circumstances. And, and it will burn you out. I think, you know, I'm definitely trying to work with that, with some of that burnout myself. So, yeah. yeah. But but if you burned out, um, uh, you won't uh, have any uh, value uh, to your customer because burned out, you can't deliver anything, right? That's right. Um, yep. so, so I think it's always, and I would like to get back to that uh, as well later. A little, um, like 
the well-being is is like also an economic factor uh, for 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 the company or in this case just as you mentioned um from the customer right uh, everyone should be in, uh, having the interest that my co counterpart or partner or client um is also in in a well-being state and and not like uh, um yeah five before uh, burnout yes yeah well-being directly correlates to engagement levels right so if you are not paying attention to well-being if you're a leader and you are working with a team and and well-being isn't a topic that you talk about um, and try to perhaps uh, collaboratively support with each other um, you and and people are suffering you are going to see levels of disengagement and productivity drop right i mean I, this example of myself i'm giving you it's a perfect example right but i'm very open about it i'm get trying to figure out what's happening how do i change it i'm trying new methods but if i if i wasn't open about that and my manager wasn't asking about it and i felt it was uncomfortable to share that because i might appear weak or i might appear like um maybe you know i can't do my job then what's happening, right? What's happening is I'm hiding it. I'm not, I'm disengaging. I'm not certainly not giving it my all when I show up. I'm probably mm. not connecting with my team as well as I should. So it definitely is something to pay attention to. And here in the United States, well-being is moving high up the priority chain in terms of what companies are starting to pay attention to because that's one thing the pandemic has done is sh shown a spotlight on this topic um, and that, that it is important and necessary for organizations to pay attention to it so um, it's definitely something we're talking about here but I'm not, how is it, what's happening uh, in Europe? Is that something that's that's being discussed at all? Oh, yeah, I would like to dive into that a little bit more with you, um, especially um, getting all, also from, from your um, more more deep insight about how, how, how companies uh, act or, or organizations act differently in, in different countries or continents, right? Because mm -hmm. in, in, in Europe uh, or, or um, for example, also in, in Germany, as I'm a German, um, there's always like this, um, not laziness, but um, I would say people are still in the, in the wait, waiting uh, period or they, they are just waiting for something to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, some changes and uh, and I see um, probably in the US or also um, in, in different other countries they are much more uh, agile and getting things like moving because yeah. um, probably the social security level is not so high so you have to get uh, um, things really moving on your own uh, mm -hmm. it's your own in initiative and if you don't move it n nobody will move it and, and uh, there, there is a difference um, But but uh, yeah, getting getting back to that, um, how how do you see that as you are also in communication and, and trainings uh, with customers or other companies and organization? You see how, how they did adapt um, in in the last year. What what um, challenges they have or how how they rethink their their way of doing business? Uh, you just mentioned that part of the well being. Um, is there is there more stuff that you have observed uh, over the last year? Yeah. Yeah, I think the companies that are getting it right are definitely prioritizing well-being. And what that looks like is, uh, is in a remote environment is that teams are 
working. So they, they're very specific about the types of meetings and connection time that they create. And so, so one way that they are um, addressing well-being is really making sure that, they, that they're um, building time for teams to connect socially. Um, and what they're finding is the more connected socially teams are, the more trust they have, right? It starts to lower their stress levels. It, it, um, it's tapping into something in our brain that's very important, which is authentic human connection. And it's then impacting in a positive way their ability to meet their deliverables and their productivity levels and their engagement levels. Um, so that's one thing I am seeing is that companies are prioritizing not just meetings where we're talking about what got done, did we hit our goals? What's the numbers this week? But actually scheduling meetings that are specifically for connection. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing that's really popular in the United States are what we call employee resource groups. So we call them ERGs. Uh, and those are basically, you know, I, I like to explain it as they're, they're groups that employees can volunteer or choose to be a part of that um, align with something they care deeply about or they're excited to be a part of. So you could have an employee resource group that's all about, um, you know, helping diverse groups move up in, into leadership positions in your organization. And then they really focus on how can we help make that happen? Maybe we need to uh, outsource training or education or do a pro bring a program in-house. Um, that's one example. Another employee resource group could be, um, a group that cares about food and uh, making healthy meals, right? And they get together and they share recipes and they do things like like cook together. So there's just a lot of different ERGs that allow, again, it allows employees to tap in to like-minded folks who appreciate or have a passion about something that they do as well. And they, a lot of companies will give them time to meet during the work week, right? Because they know investing in that type of authentic connection where you're aligned around a passion you care about is going to help the company in the long run. So the ERGs are also really um, important. Um, let's see, what else have I noticed? Definitely. What I'm seeing in my work, because I do a lot of uh, leadership development work, I work with teams, anytime I'm being asked to put together a program, they, the companies want to know how are we ensuring that what we are delivering in terms of leadership development is inclusive, you know, and, and equitable for all. So we're making sure we are including everybody. There's different variety of voices represented and diverse perspectives. And so that actually has made me, I think, become a better business owner, right? I have to think about those things as I build e-learning, as I build, when I do videos, it can't always just be me, right? I have to consider bringing in diverse viewpoints and people who don't necessarily look like me. And uh, that's actually making me better. I feel like I'm meeting the needs of everyone, right? Instead of um, maybe not thinking about that as much as I was before. So those are a couple of things, yeah, that I'm noticing. 
you just remembered me about a conversation I had last week uh, with uh, also a podcast guest, uh, Nico Rose. Um, yeah, you could also dive into that maybe next week, mm -hmm. um, which was interesting because he was mentioning some experience. Um, I, I don't remember right now uh, who, who he was mentioning, but uh, they do uh, just ninja calls. Uh, means just pick up the phone and uh, call the, your coworkers, right? Uh, unexpected, yeah. don't write messages, call them and uh, see what happens because um, one, one struggle or challenge is that in this virtual environment we're working all uh, together right now, uh, most of the things ha have to be scheduled, right? And uh, yeah. the, the, something out of the box, uh, uh, which is not scheduled, uh, which is like spontaneously, um, you think might about uh, a colleague or a coworker um, and um, wondering how they're doing, just give them a call like, yeah. uh, and, and, and surprise them um, because uh, this is something uh, not so many people anymore are expecting uh, yeah. out, 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 out of the scheduled work we have right now. Yeah, and if I can add to that, um, one yes. of the ideas that I like to, tell people about is think about as you you know the money you used to put in piggy banks for your kids that but you know if you ever did that but i can remember growing up my dad would come in every night after work and he'd put some change into my piggy bank in my in my room um it isn't really much different right right now with everyone working remote and honestly the the way we work will change forever because of this and we will probably always now have aspects of remote work and as part of our life. Um, but you have to really think about it as investing in your social capital piggy bank, right? That is what we are doing with each other. And if you have to have something on your desk to remind you, like wooden nickels or coins or whatever it might be, to remind you that on a daily basis, you know, whether it's three, five times a day, what am I doing to invest in the social capital of my building my team? Or what am I doing to invest in, you know, these social relationships that are important to my success and to the success of others? And sometimes it can be an email. Sometimes it's picking up the phone. Sometimes it's, it's um, you know, one a great idea a team uh, shared with me is they just have what they call open open meetings where they schedule 90 minutes, two hours, maybe once a week, where everybody just gets on Zoom and they just work to, next to each other. There's not a meeting mm -hmm. scheduled. They're not actually talking about things, but they're just all on Zoom working like you would as if you were in the office and they can ask someone a quick question and everybody can hear it, you know, but it's, it's a way just to bring people together and build that social capital, which is so important. Yeah, I, I was I was talking to a friend last week about that. Um, um, as I, I work also uh, most of the time in, in my office and uh, by myself, um, that it is sometimes uh, like really good to have someone just sitting in next to you uh, yes. working on something on something completely different, right? Uh, as my friend is working on movies, um, okay, just let's uh, get together uh, for working two hours together or uh, an afternoon, and uh, the, just the the. That someone is there, right? Uh, yes. uh, helps you to help, helps you sometimes to overcome this uh, loneliness that might some someone feels. Absolutely, yes, that's it. And you know, there is a part of some of the research that I've done 
um, on connection is uh, around the loneliness epidemic. And this was before the pandemic, mm. right? So there isn't a loneliness ec epidemic and there's actually an Australian coalition to end loneliness like that because there is such an epidemic and that was pre-pandemic. Um, and one of the things that they mention is that loneliness occurs when the quality of our relationships are felt to be inadequate and it can occur even if we are surrounded by people, right? So the idea that, um, when we are with each other, like you do have your friend sitting there next to you working, it feels good. How can we even take that to a little bit of a higher level and intentionally do something when we are together that really try, connects us a little bit or allows us to, you know, share in a moment of connection? Because that is is really raising the, the quality of our relationships. So just a little tip. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We'll take this into account, definitely. As we speak today, um, I, I, of course, I want to dive a little bit also into into your practical work uh, that you yeah. mentioned before. Um, and um, we we have uh, um, already heard about your books, uh, the the virtual uh, teams for dummies, and and also mm -hmm. the uh, work at home. Um, let's try today, as our audience is also. Uh, um, um, connected to the virtual environment to get a little bit more on the expert level. Um, and um, I know, and you had sh shared with me before uh, our um, uh, podcast recording, um, your your framework um, that, that I would like um, to, you to present it a little bit so we get an idea, um, which was I really... What I really liked before um, was the title or something in the title, um, which you mentioned, uh, Permission to be human at work. And um, this sounds really nice to me, but um, yeah, please uh, go ahead and, and explain a little bit about uh, what this framework is about and how we can work with them. Yeah, so one of the things that came out of, you know, the, everybody working remotely is people were uh, in the early months, so March and April in the US when, when we all started working from home, the biggest concern that employees had and the biggest issue and thing that, that was going on for them was this lack of feeling connected. And I don't think it's much different. I do think some you know, teams have figured it out, but this has continued to be an issue. And as I mentioned, back to you know, connections related to well-being, engagement, right? It impacts everything. So how are we building these moments of authentic connection with each other? <clears throat> and it has good business reason, right? There's business reasons behind why we want to do that. So I basically have uh, done a lot of um, research, as you know, on my own, but I've also studied other people who have done a lot of research on authentic human connection. One of those is Brene Brown. She um, is really popular here in the United States, and she's a social worker who's done tons and tons of research on connection. And um, basically what we're seeing And what we're what we're what we know now to be true is that connection is a basic human need, right? We need to connect with each other. It is part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like we have to do it um, for us to flourish and thrive in our environment, whether that's work, home, life, anywhere. And mm -hmm. so this idea about permission to be human at work, one of the benefits that I believe the the pandemic is creating 
maybe in pockets, maybe it's not happening everywhere, is that we are getting to see people in a little bit more of their human environment, right? Like I'm, I'm getting to see you right now in your home. Um, I think the first time we talked, you showed me where your kids are going to school, which is right out the window there. And I would have never got to know that or see that if we were in the office together, right? You get to see me. I, I've been on calls with executives where their kids are running through the through the background, right? So we, we mm. are getting to see this more human element of each other. And the key is how do we leverage that? How do we leverage that as we start to perhaps send some people back to work, right? Or just let, just let's just let's leverage this idea that it is okay for us to fully show up being who we are at work, right? Like this permission to be human at work. And so um, with all my research and the things I've been reading and seeing and doing, um, what I came up with is something called the team connection framework. I'll just hold it up here for a minute. Um, but it has really three focus areas and that is relevance, belonging, and nourishment. And so one of the things that I talk about is when we, when we study human behavior, what we know is for people to um, feel that they are relevant, that what they're doing matters, that they're bringing some type of value to our team or to the world, and that they are contributing in some way that makes a difference, we need to tell people that. We need to pay attention to pointing that out to each other. And so one of the things, you know, it obviously starts with the leader really understanding and being able to articulate to their team why what we the work we do matters, right, as a team. But then it's even more important than that, that on an individual level, we show each other our relevance or we show someone else their relevance by listening deeply, right, to them, by not really thinking about, oh, I got to one-up them on this, right? Or I know what they're talking about and I have my own ideas and I'm just going to wait for them to stop talking so I can so I can jump in, but I'm really listening deeply to what someone's saying um, so that I understand them and I can actually repeat that back to them. That makes someone feel valued. That makes someone feel relevant and heard. Um, another key thing is that uh, when we are working with each other, even in a virtual setting, that we communicate why this is important. Why is this important to me? Why is this important to the team? So we're communicating purpose. And then we're consistently recognizing the positive impact peoples uh, have on the team. So when they when they complete a task, if it helped make my life easier, if they stepped in and helped me with a difficult client, you know, I let them know. We recognize their impact. So right before we got on this call, I'm actually working with a company in the UK. We're building, I'm building an app, um, uh, an app that allows for a scalable learning in a remote environment. And I'm working with this lovely, lovely person um, who is, is, giving she has the technology i'm building the content and uh, it's probably i don't know seven or eight p.m there i'm guessing and one of my clients had a technical call and i just sent her an email and said can you do you think you might be able to hop on this call because i'm not going to be able, able to answer these technical questions and she did i think she probably got out of bed maybe and she got ready she got on she answered all their questions and when i got done i sent her not only an email that said 
here is why that had such an impact on me and on the client and most likely their decision to move forward with us. But I also uh, sent her a thank you and gave her a gift card. And she was like, oh my goodness, you don't need to do that. But it really, she brought tremendous value to that call and to me. And I think she really needed to know that. And so I tried to do it in a variety of ways. So um, I just was practicing that this morning and I'm hoping it makes her feel good for the rest of her evening and tomorrow um, around that. The second focus area that I think teams and companies need to focus on um, in terms of connection Relevance is the first. The second is belonging. And this is back to what I mentioned is a basic human need. We know this, right? This is in in our hierarchy of needs, a sense of belonging to a group, a tribe, whatever you want to call it, is something we all must experience to thrive in life and in work. And so how do we do that? So a couple ideas that I propose is use appreciative inquiry, if you've ever heard of appreciative inquiry, to um, together as a team, talk about stories when you have felt a deep sense of belonging and allow people to tell those stories. So appreciative inquiry, if you haven't heard of that term, is basically asking questions for people to share a story when they have felt belonging, when they have felt like they were thriving. What did that, what was happening in that moment, right? So it's this idea of not necessarily focusing on our shortcomings, but focusing on when things were working really well or when we were thriving and at our best. What was that like? What were we experiencing so that we can try to create it again? And so when we think about belonging, rather than guess what makes someone feel belong, like they belong, allow that time to share stories of a time when they did belong and they felt a deep sense of belonging, what was going on for them. So that's one strategy around that. A second strategy is really around creating psychological safety. So a couple of years ago, I think it might've been in 2017 or 16, Google did that big study. I don't know if you remember this, but Google did a huge study about what builds high-performing teams. And of course, you know, I've been in this field for 20 years and all of us that have been in learning and development, any of you that have been in that, this learning and development field, when they basically came out with their study, right, of thousands of teams in Google, and the number one thing was creating psychological safety. This is what we're talking about, right? Allowing people feel like they belong, giving people a voice, um, making sure they know what their purpose is and why they contribute. We were like, no, duh. This is what we've been teaching for 20 years. But oh, it was um, so, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, hmm. but it was so important to be validated. And so I think that study really made the work that I do more important, right? It wasn't some kind of fluffy foo-foo stuff that, you know, it's nice to have. It's good to talk about. It's actually, we know, creates the highest performing teams. This isn't soft type of stuff. It's real, right? And it, and it makes a difference. So that's the other piece is as a team, are we creating a safe environment where people feel like I can speak up and I can disagree with you? I can disagree maybe with the leader and it's okay. We have a healthy debate around ideas and that is what's going to get us to the best solution. And I don't feel like if I disagree with you, I'm going to get fired, right? That, it, that we are here um, with the intention 
of doing our best work and, and doing having the best solution. And part of that is that we create a psychological safe environment. Um, did you want to, I didn't want to, did you want to say something about that? No, no, just keep okay. going. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. Yeah. Keep listening. So, yeah. <laughs> so, and then a third strategy is really, I think I mentioned already, um, to create this sense of belonging is just to encourage people to practice self-compassion. So one of the things that I mentioned is really hard for me is to say no to a client. And this week, last week, I had to say, I'm not going to get to you what I thought I was going to get. And that was really difficult for me. Um, but what I am trying to practice and hope that others will as well is that it is important for us to encourage people to be compassionate with themselves when people are experiencing more stress than they ever had. Um, they're potentially experiencing more insecurity around work than they ever have before, uh, where their children, maybe they're not able, they have to work and they can't give their kids the care that they want and things might not be going well with their. So we have to really allow people a little bit of grace and a little bit more flexibility than we ever have before. And I, I'm encouraging that self-compassion in others and I have to practice it myself and try not to beat myself up for not being able to deliver something, right? So that would be the other thing. And then the third focus area that I think really builds connection is nourishment. And this is around the quality of our relationships. So I mentioned this earlier as well. What am I doing? What is our team doing? What is the leader of the team doing? What's the company doing, right? We can look at this at every level to improve the quality of relationships that we have with each other. So how are we creating moments of authentic connection? How are we getting to know each other at a deeper level? Um, how are we investing in that social capital? One of the tools that I use with teams, and I uh, encourage all teams to do this, is some type of assessment, right, that we're all comfortable with taking and willing to share the results of with each other. I use a tool called DISC. Um, you might have heard of Myers-Briggs, uh, Strength Finders. These are all, I think, US-centric tools, but they're pretty well known, I think, around the, the, the globe. But what they do is allow us to understand what someone's motivators might be, how they like to be communicated with. Do they like to be communicated very directly? Um, do they like to build relationships first before they jump into business? Um, mm. Do they need data, right? Do they need a lot of information and data or do they need actually um, you know, time to think over what I'm saying before I ask them to make a decision. So these are just other ways that we can build the quality of our relationships by really understanding what makes our team members tick is very, very important and super helpful. And one of the things, again, it helps us leverage our differences, right? Because there's also studies out there that show diverse teams are way more over time effective and successful than non-diverse teams. And when I say diversity, I mean in all its forms, diverse ways of thinking, diverse approaches, diverse communication styles, diversity in race, and all of those things. We know, uh, based on studies, that the more diverse a team is, as long as they're functioning effectively, that they tend to get better results. Um, 
So discovering that those differences and figuring out and talking about how to leverage them is another way to really nourish the relationships that we have. So those are some of the strategies to build belonging, relevance, and nourishment on a team. And um, they definitely are something I'm talking more about and hopefully going to be building kind of a little assessment for teams to take, like how well are we doing this, right? So that we can assess where we are and then, you know, get better because it does make a difference to the bottom line, to productivity, um, to high-performing teams. So that's that's the framework, and I'm happy to share this with your audience um, if they want to use it or talk about it with their own teams. Yeah, let's do it. Let's connect it somehow maybe in the show uh, notes or in the description and or people could uh, uh, get in contact with you and download it um, somewhere. Um, but I would definitely go for that because it's really a, 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 a easy map that you can see or easy sheet and, and, and it points really out like the, the big points and, and then from there on you can go into more, more detail, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and, and yeah, the, um, Definitely, they can they can talk about this. What I encourage everybody to do is really just ask those questions, right? Are yes. how well are we um, valuing people's contributions on this team from a scale from one to five? Right? These are so you could take this and be very simple in just doing a quick pulse check, right? Um, when's the last time that you felt? you know, like you really belonged on this team or any team? And what was that like? And how well are we doing? Where can we improve? Right. And then the quality of our relationships. Do we need, are you getting the the amount of social connection that that is filling you right on this team yeah, from a, on a scale from one to five? So you can take this. I'm going to build a, a survey around it uh, eventually and probably in the next week or two. But it's certainly something anybody can use easy to do that's great and i just uh, uh, want to uh, pick up something about the qu quality of relationships and uh, and that um the different um uh, types of tests or or, or questions you could mm. ask uh, you, you mentioned the maya bricks or mm -hmm. um the disk system and they're uh, always like people they're some somehow critic or other expect like magic out of it to get like a pinpoint on on their on their co-workers or themselves yeah. and and for me it's not like that it's just like uh, ha having a map and yeah. knowing uh, how, how to go right and you're just not in the dark um if you know uh, for for a person um, um the personal relationship is more important at the first place and, and and you know them a little bit better um that will just help you um to make um the things more concrete more more explicit and and not just uh, having some guesswork around it uh, then you, you have a tendency and then you can focus on that really and that will improve the relationship um by by, by x-fold um just mm -hmm. taking out all the guesswork and and having the colleague maybe or the coworker um knowing each other for three years uh, but they don't really know who they are and maybe yeah. they don't know who they are by themselves but um this is also something you could uh, work on yeah you know those the tools that um are very popular most of them are validated right in terms of their um uh response rates and and um oh i can't think of the word here but they're validated assessment tools right so they are based on research and data and they've given them to thousands of people and 
have a lot of data about they actually, the responses seem very accurate. So their accuracy and their relevancy are high. What I always do when I'm facilitating any kind of um, conversation around an assessment tool is I ask people to read it and personalize what works for them and what doesn't, right? We are dynamic human beings. An assessment tool is never going to get it all right because in different situations, we're going to show different aspects of ourselves or our personality or turn our volume up uh, in some cases. Like, for example, you know, if if I'm under stress, I can be very, very direct. Um, but when I'm not under stress, I'm, I'm not always that, like that. So in different situations, things can shift. So what I always do when I'm facilitating any kind of conversation around an assessment is like, what rings true for you that would be helpful to share with me, right? That would help me be a better coworker for you. Because here's the thing, when we talk about motivators and stressors at work, a lot of times it is our colleagues that are either motivating or stressing us. And so if we can get language, if, if an assessment can give us language to then share that with someone, rather than saying, you're just driving me crazy. I can't stand you anymore, right? Like actually, I can actually say, it would really help me out if when you asked me to do something, I, I clearly understood the why and I, I had some details to back up what you're asking me to do so that I make sure I know what the expectation is and I get it right the first time, right? That's a style, that's a, a personality style. And yes. so, um, if I know that and I come to you and give you that information and that's your style, you're going to be like, great. I don't have any questions. I could get this done. I'm going to do it right the first time. I'm not going to waste any time. That builds better relationships. It does. It builds trust between people. So um, it is can be very helpful. But I, it's interesting because I just read an article. Someone is coming out with a, and I think this is in the United States, someone's coming out with a a show or a movie or something where they're trying to debunk, they're going, they say they're going to debunk all the assessments, right? Personality assessments. And mm -hmm. I'm really interested in what that's going to say, because I have helped thousands of team members, you know, learn to communicate better using assessments. So it'll be interesting. And they're really going up against, you know, thousands of people who it's helped. So we'll see how that goes. I'll have to let you know when that comes out. I just read an article about it two days ago. So Okay. That's, uh, let's look for that. Yeah. Um, I, I would have uh, uh, one topic I would like to dive into a little bit with you because it's something we don't talk uh, so much about, uh, but I think it's a really crucial part and that's um, uh, conflict. Um, mm. how you, how you treat conflict in, in a virtual environment, uh, when it's already difficult and often avoided, uh, in, in the um, physical office space, um, where yeah. you try to look for, uh, workarounds, uh, to just not, uh, uh confront your, uh, coworker with, or your, uh, boss or whatever person uh, you work with, um, with a situation or something that is not going well, um, how you transfer it in the virtual uh, um, space where things are even more uh, disconnected in the first place yeah. and you would have to be connected in and uh, um, to get really to the core of a conflict and, and resolve it or probably in the best case avoid it in the first place have yeah. strategies in place um, to 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 tackle those uh, conflicts when they when they grew uh, or when they when they 
uh, get bigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many good things to unpack around this question. So yes. um, one thing, one truth about remote work is that conflict can go on for a really long time remotely. It can be very insidious. You can hide it because you're virtual. Um, the manager may not know that people are in conflict and they're not working well together. They're not sharing information, you know, because everything's done online. So we don't see it. Uh, and so one of the most important things, and I talk about this in the book, Virtual Teams for Dummies, it, that a remote team absolutely has to do. It's not a nice to do anymore. You ha- If you are working remotely, you have to put agreements in place of how we're going to treat each other, how we're going to operate. And one of those agreements is how are we going to address conflict? And the easiest and simplest way to build this agreement, uh, I use a, actually a exercise, um, if you've ever heard of the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, um, which is another U.S. book, but a very popular book by Patrick Lencioni. Um, I use that book. There's an exercise in there around conflict, which is um, – Let's, as a team, define what is acceptable behavior during conflict and what is unacceptable behavior during conflict. And so you do this as a team building activity, right? You actually, you can do it virtually. You can use something like Padlet or, you know, any kind of online collaboration tool where everybody's just typing in what is unacceptable behavior during conflict and what is acceptable behavior during conflict. And so we get this list and what you will inevitably find is some are on both sides, right? So we have an opportunity as a team to discuss what is, there's some, this, this one thing here is acceptable. I'll give you a great example that comes up when I do this, swearing, using, using uh, you know, swearing, using language. Some people think it's totally, Gary yeah, somebody, people <laughs> say, Hey, it's totally fine. Right. It's totally okay to swear when we're in conflict. And some people are like, absolutely not. That is not okay. And so right there is a great example of a team that needs to discuss, kind of go down that, that, that topic area and talk about how does it feel for you when someone swears when you're in conflict, right? Let's talk about what what can we agree is okay and not okay. So we first want to agree on those things. The second thing is what do we agree to do if we see it? And it can't just be the manager's job to call people out. We have to agree as a team to call people out, right? Um, So when we see someone swearing, if we all agreed we're not gonna do that, what are we all committing to being willing to do if it's in a team meeting or after the team meeting, if we don't wanna, if we don't feel like it's a good idea to call someone out right then and there, after a team meeting, what do we agree to do? And this is a team agreement. It's not the manager's job all the time, right? We have to agree to do this together. So. That's a simple activity where it really creates an opportunity for a team to have a conversation that uh, starts to unravel what is what is okay and not okay when we're in conflict. The key here is not to avoid conflict because productive conflict is absolutely necessary to get to the best result. And when we talk about productive conflict, what I'm talking about is conflict around ideas, conflict around process. I'm not talking about conflict around people where it's mean-spirited attacks, right? And so that's the difference there. 
is conflict around people is always what what goes off the rails. Conflict around ideas is good. And how do we create an environment where it's okay to say, I don't agree with that. Let's talk about this, right? And we debate it. And at the end of the the day, maybe the manager has to make the final decision or we're going to vote as a team because that's what we agreed to. But um, productive conflict is really important for teams to engage in. And I actually have a program I do that uses an assessment uh, around how you show up in conflict and it helps teams understand what does productive conflict look like and sound like. Because it is important. I think we have to destigmatize conflict, you know, like kind of let people know it is okay. Now, what's interesting is in different parts of the country and different cultures, conflict is certain not okay. And so we need to, to discuss, I still am a proponent of the team coming together to discuss an agreement that works, that everybody feels is is something they can work with. So those are a couple I, ideas. They would have a question, for, uh, just mm -hmm. a quick one. Um, as we just spoke about different cultures and um, How you go for that if you have a culture um, that is more more dominant, more conflict, uh, um, more open to discuss, and you might have other coworkers from a completely different country, from a different yeah. culture. They are more like like the passive ones. They are not really like this sharing activity uh, attitude. How you how you enable them? Okay, you can you can do this different assessments, but yeah. what is happening if they're not joining in? Uh, yes. How you can encourage that because some. some Some, some people might from 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 the Philippines or from yep. uh, Vietnam. They're like like more like uh, so, how how you say that? Um, they're, they're more reserved and they wait before they sure. like really go into mm -hmm. action, right? And yes. they um, they probably they uh, have a colleague that swears all the time. And they they don't say anything, but they really disagree with that. Um, yeah. And so how how you level that out? Yeah. So one really this is really important for the leader right, to know and to take uh, some action steps on. And that would be to really work on establishing a one-on-one -on -one relationship with, with every colleague and understanding what is okay and not okay, um, you know, in their culture. And, and even talking about that as a team, like allowing different cultures to share you know, what, what is, what is appropriate? What's not appropriate in your culture? Like help us understand that. And the other thing that the leader can do is if the, there is going to be a conversation where debate is going to needs to happen and it will, um, perhaps reaching out to them ahead of time and providing them an opportunity one-on-one -on -one to discuss how they feel about it so that you get a sense and agreeing on how, Uh, you want to present their idea in the meeting and give them a chance to be heard. A lot of times people just need to be invited to the conversation. What I notice, whether it's a cultural thing or just a style thing, is that there will absolutely be people on your team who are not going to jump in and talk over someone to get their point across, right? They're not going to jump in when two or three people are debating really loudly. They're just not going to do it. That's not who they are. And so as the leader or the leader of the meeting, I need to recognize and create that psychological, psychological safe space 
to make sure everybody has a voice. And one way I have done this is uh, if we're virtual, I create kind of a virtual conference table. So I might just, you know, draw a little conference table on the on the uh, screen with little circles and I'll put everyone's name around the virtual conference table. And that lets, and I'll start, okay, we're going to start with Daniel and then we're going to work our way around. And I'd like to hear what you think is a good idea, what you think is something we should be concerned about. Sometimes it's in the way I pose the question that that allows someone to, to actually disagree, but they don't feel like they're getting into conflict, right? But they can say, here's what I'm most concerned about rather than saying, well, I don't agree with this, that, you know, so it's not, it can be a language thing that we just have to be a little careful of how we present the question. Um, it can be building, making sure we're building those strong relationships up front and understanding different cultures. And if I know that I'm working with, you know, people that uh, aren't going to be comfortable disagreeing, but I think they're going to have something important to say, I can do a meeting ahead of time and just kind of get a sense for where they're at. I might follow up afterwards and get a sense for where they're at. So those are a couple ideas, but um, that I would recommend. Yeah. Yeah, just just to add what, what uh, worked for us really good is also um, to prepare meetings up front, share like an agenda, agenda, whatever, sure. and, and, have, mm -hmm. and have everyone participate. Also not the, the leader yeah. is putting the agenda, so uh, everyone that wants to contribute uh, should yeah. contribute it before because there are some, sometimes, as you just mentioned, people, they are not uh, uh, going to jump in if there are two screaming heads uh, in the, in the same <laughs> meeting room and um, they, they just want, don't going to answer, but they probably going to um, provide some information about about good that, insight. Uh, uh, in the written form and then you get a really good insight and can work on it in the meeting with the others mm -hmm. right? that's exactly right yeah agenda is again really important if you want to have all voices in the room sending out an agenda and allowing people to contribute to that agenda ahead of time or sending out the agenda and asking some questions you know what are what do you think is going to be a challenge here? What are you excited about? Whatever, you know, you can ask some questions, get them to contribute before the meeting. That really gives you a jumping off point um, in terms of what to discuss. So yeah, agenda is really important. And I think a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of companies have gotten away from it, right? Because we're so we try to do things so quickly. And I do think that's a best practice to um, get back to sending out an agenda to, ahead of time if you want to get all the voices in the room and the best ideas because it gives people time to consider and reflect. Yeah, for sure. Great. One thing um, also to round up um, our conversation today, um, I would like to get a little insight um, from, from you, um, is um, in... A lot of leaders, uh, when, when, when we see them and, and mostly company owners or, or, or managers, um, have this mentality, um, I'm the doer type. I, I, I stand over uh, all the um, things that are, are, are coming onto me. Uh, I don't struggle. I don't have uh, problems with emotions. Uh, nothing affects me. And uh, it, it seems that this is ki kind of uh, counterproductive uh, in, in the long perspective. Um, but I, I would like to ask you, um, what do you think how someone could open up to that in, in especially in environments that we're working right now uh, remotely uh, and, and everyone is on his own more or less uh, when we're not working? 
how how can they open open up to really like letting their teams feel uh, this authentic uh, in 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 the conversation in the communication, um, which is uh, often missed and um, mm -hmm. counterproductive. Yeah, yep. So what you're talking about is uh, there's two two aspects to building trust on a team, and one is what we call predictive based trust, which is um, I predict that you do what you say you're going to do. If you're going to get me something by five on Friday, you're going to you're going to do it, right? I can predict that you'll do that, and I trust that you will, and you you always pull through, and that's important. I mean, certainly we need to be able to trust our colleagues to do what they say they're going to do. But the second level of trust, which is been proven and researched um, to be the most important and powerful in terms of building high-performing teams is where a team can practice what we call vulnerability-based trust. And it usually has to be role modeled by the leader because if the leader's not willing to do it, <clears throat> your team is certainly not going to be willing to be vulnerable. And vulnerability-based trust is when we are comfortable or willing to basically say, I messed up. I made a mistake. Um, here's what I did, right? Uh, you're better at this than me. I don't know the answer to that. Um, this, I'm afraid of doing this and here's why, right? So you're basically being vulnerable. You're being honest with people. And what happens is that when you when you are vulnerable, and you build that vulnerability-based trust, normally we actually think, oh, well, gosh, if I show anybody I'm weak, then they're going to think I'm a bad leader, or they're going to think I can't do my job, or they're going to think, you know, oh. but the studies and research show us that when we are vulnerable, when we admit our mistakes, when we admit, you know, that, that I did something wrong, or that you're better at this than me, or I need your help, I don't know how to do this, that we actually build higher levels of trust with people by doing so, right? Because we're human, right? We're human and we need each other. And I think that it, it goes back to a lot of the stuff we've been talking about earlier. Um, and so for a leader who really is operating under that um, mindset that I cannot show any cracks, I would love to encourage you to explore that a little bit because it really, when you are vulnerable, when you're willing to admit something's hard, when you're willing to admit that I'm struggling right now with my kids at home, I'm really feeling like I can't get everything done, all of a sudden you have now connected with your team who also feels the same way. And it, it really does build trust levels and trust is the foundation of a high performing team. It is the foundation, nothing else. Productive conflict isn't going to happen. Connection isn't going to happen. Um, accountability isn't going to happen. Commitment. If trust isn't there, all of the things that we want from our teams, we're going to, it's going to be a tough, tough go to get it if we don't have trust. And the best way to build trust is through being honest, being vulnerable, being authentic. Um, it also, in my opinion, demonstrates what we call growth mindset, right? So when we think about a growth versus fixed mindset, someone that comes from a growth mindset is open to learning, right? They're open to saying, I made a mistake. I want to learn how to do it better what would you guys have done, right? Or maybe one of you could do it better than I can and I can learn from you. Again, that's vulnerability and a growth mindset happening at the same time. And that also we know 
creates high performance and it helps people thrive when we're willing to be open and, and continually learn. Um, so I don't know if that helps a little bit with your question there, but. Sure it does. Sure it does. Um, Tara, thank you very much for sharing all this information today. It was really like insightful, different perspectives, uh, exactly what we are aiming for. Um, probably two uh, quick questions for, for running up. Um, what books uh, besides your own are uh, you reading uh, uh, right now? Um, maybe you can share it with us. Uh, our listeners is also uh, every time uh, interesting um, to know what uh, other people are reading, um, if you would like. And um, then also how um, uh, people and organizations could uh, reach out to you if they're interested in your work and they want to know more about uh, what you're doing and uh, probably start working with you. Sure. Yeah. Right now I am reading a book called Believe It by Jamie Lena Kern. And she is one of the um, most successful self-made female billionaires uh, in the U.S. and totally like bootstrapped her way to the top and went through so many challenges. And her book is all on all of that. So it's definitely inspiring me, you know, because she faced way bigger challenges than I ever have. So I'm reading that. And I just got done reading Elon Musk's um, biography. And that was mind blowing. Like, wow, it's a very, very interesting book. Um, and, I, and yeah, so those were the two that I just read recently. I think Elon's book was just amazing what a what one person's determination can do, I think is just like how many people laughed at him and said he couldn't do what he's doing and he's doing it, you know, it's a, and it's stuff that we didn't even think was possible. So um, pretty amazing. So I'm reading those two books right now. Um, and of course, I think I mentioned, yeah, I think uh, you mentioned at the beginning, my two books are Virtual Teams for Dummies and yes, Working sorry, from Home. Yep, <laughs> working from Home for Dummies. So grab those if you want to kind of explore any of the things that we talked about here today in more detail. Uh, we'll get everybody the Team Connection Framework. I'll give you a link for that. And if anyone wants to just, uh, I think the best way, actually, if you would like to follow me or here, I do post regularly on LinkedIn, but I also uh, do YouTube videos that are short how-to training videos for leaders and their teams around many of the topics that we've been talking about today. And so you can find me on YouTube. It's Powers Resource Center on YouTube. And we have a lot of great how-tos for virtual teams out there, remote teams, they're all free. Um, so yeah, just subscribe to our YouTube channel. We update that at least twice a month with some new stuff. And uh, of course, follow me on LinkedIn, Tara Powers. That'd be that great. We will do. Okay. And everything linked in the show notes. Uh, thanks again, Tara, for your time today. And thank you. It's a pleasure. You soon again. Yes. Thank you, Daniel. I want to thank Tara for joining us today. If you are working remote or from your home office and you'd like to take it to the next level, get your copy of Tara's new book, Working From Home, and find many of the topics we discussed today explained on an even deeper level. If you wonder what are the next practical steps when working with virtual teams and in a remote working environment, remember the Virtual Business Builder training from FlashUp. You can subscribe to the Virtual Frontier on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube or wherever podcasts can be found. And while you're there, you can leave us a review. Please support us on Patreon so we can keep improving the show and your experience. 
On behalf of the team here at the Virtual Frontier, I want to thank you for listening. So until the next episode, keep exploring new frontiers.